it's our time. We must rise up and no longer disparage. It's our time, church, to honor our heritage. We have a savior. He gave it all on the cross. We stand beside martyrs who counted nothing as loss. They took God's mysteries, opened them up for us. Stephen, John the Baptist, Bonhoeffer, Jan Hus. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses above, it's now our turn to model his unending love. Our mission is one we cannot confuse, nor muddy up with some trite excuse. You say you're not well-versed, ready, or able. I think Moses even tried to use that fable. The time we have, it's now more urgent. If we should hear, well done, faithful servant. Yeah, church, it's our time. It's our time to confess the ways we're mangled, the sins and selfishness that have us entangled. Lust, greed, and pride, their path leads to the grave. Yet we return to our sins as if we're a slave. Can we survive in this putrid dead sea? I quote Paul, may it never be. So let's cast aside our individual leprosy and begin to leave a biblical legacy. There's a glorious prize awaiting to be won, and the way to win is to start to run. Let's lace them up and fight the good fight, become to the world both salt and light. Our life on earth is merely a vapor. Our chapter must move from pen to paper. So church, let's get to writing because it's our time. It's our time, church. We have what it takes to help the world from its slumber awake. To Jesus, we are his beautiful bride. Whom shall we fear with him on our side? We have each other. We are not alone. It's iron to iron in the combat zone. There's a promise of life full of adventure. As long as we give both talents and treasure, the workers are few, the harvest is plenty, with so many lives running on empty. Scores of people trying to cope. They've come to the end of their proverbial rope. Young eyes are wandering, looking for direction. Make sure we point them to his resurrection. The clock's ticking. We're on our dime. Hey, church, rise up. It's our time. Good morning, church, and it is our time, our time to share the story of Jesus Christ. It's our time to enter into God's story and let him use us as his tools in this world as hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that in our own life we would truly lean into the story of Jesus and understand that he will make all things new in our life. Man, I'm so glad that you're here this morning to celebrate our risen Savior together, to encourage one another on the journey. It's always a joy to get together with the family of God on the first day of the week, and I'm so glad that you have chosen uh, to be here with us. For our guests, we're certainly glad that you're here and joined us this morning. Thanks for being a part of our assembly. We hope that you've seen Christ in our midst, and uh, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to consider Crosspoint as the, the spiritual family to raise your family in. We'd love for you to share your gift sets, your talents to join us in telling that story of Jesus Christ, that message of peace and love that this world desperately needs to hear. We'd invite you to do that with us this morning. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and so I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few minutes. All of our text will be on the screen as well. As we begin this third week of what I'm calling Rewrite, 
And for those that are new this morning, what does rewrite mean for you? It's the idea that Jesus Christ is rewriting your story. That no matter where you've been, what you've done, what you think that you have done that has distanced yourself from the Savior, that it all can be made new and made right because Jesus Christ wants to rewrite your story. He wants to make you new, leaving behind the old and embracing all the blessing that Jesus has for you in your life. He says, lay your burden at my feet and I will give you rest. And so the invitation is that you would allow Jesus, that you would surrender to him, let him rewrite your story, that there is a difference that Jesus will make in your life. If you remember three weeks ago, we looked into the idea that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, that in him we can rest assured that that everything will be just as it should be. And that last week we talked a little bit about trust and that God has always fulfilled his promise and that in Jesus Christ you too can experience the promise of God fulfilled in our Lord and Savior. And today I want to take a look at the idea of imitation. What is it? call us to do if we're really called to imitate Jesus Christ. And so the title of today's lesson is the idea that love wins. I mean, I want you to think about your own life for just a moment. There have been moments in your life, I know that they exist, when you were down and out, when you felt kicked to the curb, when you felt ostracized and marginalized, when you were depressed and didn't think anyone else cared, yet there was someone in your life who reached down to pick you up, someone to put their arm around you, someone to let you know that you were loved. You've got that face in your mind right now. You've got that name on your heart. You know who that person was and maybe still is, the person who has pulled you up. And what we understand in God's story through Jesus Christ is that Jesus wants everyone in his story. He's doing that for everyone And it doesn't matter what end of the tax bracket you find yourself at. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what country you hail from. It doesn't matter what your alma mater is. Go Pokes. But (laughs) Jesus loves you. And he wants you to be a part of his story. And so as we look at this call to be his disciples and to imitate him in every possible way, What does Jesus do in his life that we would need to imitate? There is this incredibly difficult text that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, for you and I, it's easy to love someone with the same skin color. It's easy to love someone with the same background. It's easy to love someone who, who shares maybe similar aspects of life with you. What is difficult is when someone looks different than you. How do we love them like Jesus has loved us? Jesus tries to remind us of what that looks like in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? 
Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Jesus says, listen, there are folks in our society who don't follow God, who are selfishly motivated, and they find people of like nature, and they can love on them. They're kind to them. They hang out with them. That's what the world does. So if we do that as followers of Christ, what good is that? And he continues in verse 47. He says, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. A difficult text to wrap your head around. How do I love people that have different life values, that have a different moral compass than I do, that like politics on the other end of the spectrum, away from me? And what we discover in Jesus' life as we begin to unpack his life in the Gospels is that following Jesus is anything but the norm. It is something unique and special and distinctive. Loving everyone created by God, every single human being on this planet is created in the image of God. Have you ever thought about that? Not just your nationality, not just where you hail from, not necessarily your religious background, but every person, the Bible tells us, is created in the image of God. Yes, that means even those who disagree with you. So how do we pull alongside and love a world that is in total chaos? You turn on the evening news any given night, and that national news lets us know about the chaos that exists in the Middle East right now, the the terrorism that exists. You have country leaders who are killing their own people. The masses of folks leaving one country and moving to another to save their families. We look at our own country and the political turmoil that currently exists within our own nation, the isolation We look at the racial tension that exists in our country, how we cannot seem to get along, although God calls us to do that very thing. And sometimes we may think, you know what, it's easy to love those who I am friends with, and at times, my own family, yes. It's easy to love folks who feel the same as I do, who are nice and kind to me. And yes, we'll even love those Eagles fans that you have to work with. (laughs) But I'm guessing there are people probably in your life who you do not see eye to eye with that maybe you are different from in very big ways. And Jesus calls us to love them as well. Even people who have done us wrong. And there are people in the world who are very different from us, who, who they didn't choose to be there. If there's no decision of their own, they find themselves there in life. Yet society at large might ostracize them or marginalize them or push them away. And what we discover in the process is that Jesus loves those who are disadvantaged in life. This, uh, this winter, we've had this massive flu epidemic. Maybe some of you have suffered from the flu uh, this winter season. Uh, I get to go to the hospital often to visit those who are sick or maybe a, a delivery of a baby. 
Sometimes I walk through that ER and this winter it's been full of people who are coughing and hacking. They've got the mask on. They're there to get medicated for whatever their condition is. And as I walk down that hall toward that specific room, I walk by door after door and many of those are open and you see those inside who are struggling and suffering from what sin brought into this world. And what you realize in that moment is This is exactly what Jesus dealt with every single day of his ministry. When he launched and began after his baptism in Mark chapter 1, his ministry was spent helping other people, loving on other people who had been marginalized, kicked to the curb, whose society wanted nothing to do with. Matthew chapter 9 reminds us, that Jesus healed every type of disease from internal bleeding to those that were blind, those that were paralyzed, and yes, he even raised the dead. He, he dealt with all kinds in his ministry. One of the most exciting ministry moments that Robin and I have had was when we worked in Oklahoma. We got to work with the Special Olympics, a a group of folks that society at large kind of pushes to the side, marginalized, if you will. But these, these people have so much love to give. I remember volunteering as we did every year for the state Special Olympics and we were assigned one person, we'd go get them in line and they never stop talking. (laughs) It is awesome. They tell you their life story, who they are, what they're doing. You walk them to the line, you cheer them as they run and then at the end they jump into your arms just excited to have finished the race. They love life. It is exciting to be a part of that ministry. And churches throughout this nation have started this new movement for those that have special needs called Jesus Prom. Many of these folks have not got to experience a prom at their high school or a dance, and so churches across our nation are creating this moment for those with special needs to come in and have that moment. They're experiencing kindness and love in different ways. And although we describe these different folks that have existed throughout time, what we realize at the end of the day, the truth is, is that we all need help. Every single one of us need that cross. Every single one of us need Jesus to make all things new in our life. No one here can save themselves. We find ourselves in trouble, marginalized by what Satan brought into this world. And realize that we cannot do it alone. We need help. And so Jesus in his life reminds us of what that looks like played out, lived out in life each and every day. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, Jesus turned to his host. And when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. See, Jesus reminds us through the example he set in his life, his interaction with those that society had said no to, had stiff-armed and moved to the curb, 
Jesus said, I'm going to be their spokesman. And what we're reminded a few weeks ago as we studied through 1 Peter, that this world is not our home. That we're going to live with Jesus Christ. We're going to be with him for all eternity. We're just passing through. And so it's our purpose to share the message of Jesus Christ, his love and kindness to all those who would be receptive to that story. And one thing I know about heaven is that its gates are handicapped accessible. Every single person that enters those gates will leave behind the wheelchair and the cane, the prosthetic. They'll leave behind the cancer, the respiratory issues, and you can continue to fill in the blanks. Because one thing I do know is that when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, in the end, he will make all things new for you. He will raise you up and resurrect you from where you find yourself right now. And so the challenge this morning is that each and every one of us would open our eyes as we move toward Easter. It's just around the corner. As we move in that direction, I want you to ask yourself, how do you interact with the world around you? Are you safely sitting in your comfort zone, in your own bubble, or are you willing to live life risky like Jesus Christ lived life? I mean, how do you interact with the guy that's begging at the end of the on-ramp when you come off the highway? How do you rub elbows with those who are not in your tax bracket? How do you show compassion for the single mom trying to corral her three kids at the grocery store where you shop? How do you reach out to that lonely divorcee that lives in your neighborhood? How do you pray for that person that's been convicted of a crime and now has a hard road ahead of them? How do you think about someone who is self-righteous in their own walk? I mean, is that a lifestyle that you and I should adopt or is it just an Easter event? Because as I look at the life of Christ, it's a call to a different type of living. It's a call to totally surrender to Jesus and say, rewrite who I am. Make me someone new. Make me look like you. We are called to love on people. Attributed to Mark Twain, it said that he, he said, kindness is the language the deaf can hear and the blind can read. We're reminded in our own life that we're called to love on those who are different than you are. No matter the language barrier, no matter what skin color you have, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done in life, we're called to love one another. Jesus loved and served equally. He touched the untouchables in his day. One particular group of people that Jesus had to deal with, we don't find this in America, but certainly in Africa and in India, rampant, is this disease called leprosy. When you get this disease in Jesus' day, your skin just turns a little white, and you have to go present yourself to the priest at the temple. And he will examine that, and if he determines that you do have skin disease, that you do have leprosy, he will say to you, please leave the temple and never come back. You're not allowed to worship anymore. As a matter of fact, you can't live in town anymore inside the the safety of the city wall. You have to go outside the city wall and live in the leper colony. Can you imagine that sentence? Socially, theologically, physically, 
ostracized. And if you touched someone that had that skin disease, you yourself were unclean. And you had to go through a process to be ceremonially clean again. When it comes to self-worth, the leper ranked negatively. He was no longer even a person. And yet we find this interaction in Luke, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said, moved with compassion. Now, church, if you have your own Bible, that's one of those three-word phrases that you need to circle, underline, highlight. Moved with compassion, because we're called to imitate Jesus Christ in our life. He says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And the man was healed. You see, Jesus lives life unorthodoxly. And we're called to live that way as well. So maybe in your own life, it's time for you to reach out and touch someone. Maybe in your life, it's time to to break the bubble. And pat someone on the back rather than shaking the finger, always correcting. Maybe in your life it's it's time to put an arm around a shoulder of someone who's uncertain about where they're going or what they're doing or their purpose in life. Maybe if you've got young ones in your life, it's it's time to, to stop correcting necessarily and maybe fist bump and high five those little ones who are so unsure of themselves. Maybe in your own life with those that you disagree with, it's time to start holding hands and start that reconciliation process because God did that for you through Jesus Christ, his son on the cross. And it's time for us to start imitating him in every way. And it just doesn't start with what we've talked with about so far, it, it expands. Jesus loves those who, who are well off in life as well. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head down, but we find that he was friends of those who were well off. A guy named Lazarus, a religious leader called Nicodemus, another religious leader, Joseph of Arimathea, a tax collector named Zacchaeus, Another tax collector who was also wealthy by the name of Matthew who ended up following him and becoming his disciple and wrote the very first book in our New Testament. Jesus loved those who were well off, but he also loved those who were not doing well. The story out of Luke chapter 21 is one of those moments. Jesus is at the temple and he's training and teaching his own disciples as the rich, the text says, comes in and lays their their gift on the altar. And then an older widow lady comes in and puts two coins in the coffer. And he says that she has given more than anyone else. And Jesus' ministry reminds us that whether you are well off or you are on skid row, the kingdom of God is for you. He wants you in his story. And because of his proclamation, you and I have no grounds to discriminate on who gets to hear the story of Jesus, on how we love those around us, no matter where they've been or what they have done. But you and I, depending on where we find our tax bracket, we tend to discriminate, don't we? If we 
are not doing very well, we create satire for the rich. And if we are doing well, we look down and say, get a job. And Satan loves pitting God's creation against each other. His desire is to tear apart that relationship for which God has worked so hard. We're reminded in Jesus' story, time and time again, that we're called the bloom where we're planted. Be a shining light in the darkness that is the world. We're called to live out a different, unique story than the world gives out. And what we understand at the end of the day is that Jesus loves those who are desperate. And guess what? We are desperate. We need Jesus Christ in our life. We need that cross and that empty tomb. And it's because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that you and I can celebrate the life that we have in Jesus Christ. We were desperate and we desperately need him in our life. There's a story in Mark chapter 5 that illuminates this idea for us. Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee in the dead of night. They encounter a strong storm as they cross that lake. They finally land in the dark on the other side of the lake. They, they get out of the boat and they discover that they're actually in a cemetery. They hear this howling, this screaming, and the sounds of footsteps running toward them. Now, the text describes the demon-possessed man that lives in this cemetery. He doesn't have a stitch of clothing on. He cuts himself with stones, and so blood is running. The townspeople have tried to chain him, but he's too strong. He breaks the chains. Can you imagine, dead of night, just experienced the storm. We're in a cemetery. There's a naked man running at me who's bleeding, and the chains are... I'm getting back in the boat. A little too scary for me. But he stands toe-to-toe with Jesus. And the one guy that no one wanted anything to do with had left him alone, kicked him to the curb, and said you're not really even a person. Jesus takes that demon out of him, and when the townspeople arrive the next morning to discover what all the chaos is about, it says that they find him fully clothed, seated in his right mind. And why has that change occurred? Because Jesus Christ entered the picture. He's a different man because the king of kings has made it so. He's changed everything and made all things new for that particular man. The townspeople are upset. They don't know who Jesus is. This is kind of chaotic. So they ask, please leave the area. The area is called the Decapolis, which simply means the ten cities. And so they get back in the boat and they're beginning to leave. And the man who has been demon-possessed but is no longer in that state, tries to get in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I I need you to stay here. I need you to bloom where you're planted. I need you to tell the story about how God has changed your life. And so he stays. Jesus and the disciples leave. And several chapters later in the gospel, maybe six to nine months later, Jesus and his disciples come back to the same area, only this time things are different. They get out of the boat, and it says that the crowds recognize Jesus, and they begin to come to him for teaching and preaching and healing. Jesus does another miracle in this moment. It's where he feeds the 4,000 people with seven loaves. They were so mesmerized by his teaching that they didn't even go home for dinner, and so Jesus had to feed them miraculously yet once again. Now, Now, why does this happen 
some six to nine months later? Well, it's because there was a guy who was grateful for what the king of kings did for him and told his story. The church is established in the area in the Decapolis. And for 300 years, that church prospered and did well through the power of the Holy Spirit. All of this is possible because Jesus took time with one person. Leaned into the life of one person that no one else wanted to interact with. And so this morning, as we finish up our time together, remains the question, I wonder who is waiting to be reached in your circle of influence. I wonder who is waiting to hear how awesome Jesus Christ is that you could tell, that you could reach, that you could imitate Jesus and say, I know that, that you have got some things going on in your life. Let me tell you about a Savior who can make things right, who can make all things new, who can help you say goodbye to the old and welcome the new. Because we know in story after story, Jesus touched the leper and changed his life forever. Jesus talked to the woman at the well and changed her life forever. Jesus talked to Pilate, the Roman governor, and changed his life forever. Jesus spoke with Jairus, whose daughter had died and raised her from the dead. And their life would never be the same because Jesus Christ was present And as we look at this series, as it begins to unfold, we realize that Jesus Christ absolutely has all authority in heaven and earth, that we can trust him with the promises that he's given us to bring us a brand new and beautiful life. And that part of the way that we do that as we begin to journey with him and follow him is that we share love and kindness with all those who are around us, no matter where they are or what they are involved in. I mean, you want to be great in God's kingdom He says, then you put yourself on the back burner and you love those with whom you have contact. You be Jesus to all those who would hear the story of the coming Savior, of the resurrected King, because he is indeed resurrecting you as well. He's changing your life. He's turned all things around. He has the gates of Hades and the the keys of death. He's conquered everything. And he wants you in his story. Jesus took one person at a time. And as we imitate him, it's our call to do the same. To in our life discover who is God putting in our, in our way, so to speak, so that we can share with them how awesome and incredible Jesus Christ truly is. And what he's done for you in your life. I'll invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And as we think about the idea that love wins, God is love. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. He is love. And he wants us to imitate him, to follow him. And so as we sing this song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered around the wall of this room. And the invitation is, as we sing, to go find one of our shepherds and let them pray for you and pray over you. That if you've got some animosity, something in your life that's slowing you down from fully surrendering to Jesus Christ and being everything he's called you to be, that that you would let that go. Let the Spirit move through you as we move toward Easter. Make your presence known to your circle of influence and let them know how awesome and incredible that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is. The resurrected King wants to resurrect your life as well. Let's stand and sing together.